Blog Talk Radio. This broadcast of the PJC Media Network seeks to present wholesome, thought-provoking, and entertaining content. However, the views expressed by the hosts of PJC Media are theirs and theirs alone. They do not reflect the views of this network or its affiliates. Please utilize listener discretion. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Let's Talk About It with Jenny White Show. Each week, we feature different topics concerning issues that sometimes can be difficult to talk about. These issues concern children and adults who may be autistic, have Asperger's, or have mental disorders of any kind. We will discuss law enforcement and how they interact with these persons. Now, let's start the show. Good evening. Good evening. And welcome to the Let's Talk About It with Jenny White. Tonight we're going to talk about Shirley Chisholm, the first black woman in the United States Congress. And before we start this, I'm going to introduce my co-host, Mr. Coleman. How are you? Hello, I'm doing great, Jenny White. How are you? I'm fine. Thank you, sir. I don't know about this weather. It goes up and down, but yeah, it's Michigan. okay. <laughs> it's good. Michigan. So what do you think about uh, Shirley? Because what I heard was the, she was the first black woman uh who in 1968 was enlisted, elected to the Congress. She was representing for seven, for, from 1969 to 1983. So she was running. She was the first woman to run for the first black woman to be a major party nomination to President of the United States and to be the first woman to run for the Democratic Party nomination. And in January the 1st, 2005, Shirley Chrism was in her home in Florida where she died after having many, several strokes. So I think that she was fantastic because she was in there in Congress and she did what she was doing and she just, you know, she was a black woman and she ran to be the first woman to run for the Democratic Party nomination of president. So what do you think about that? Who can beat that? She was there. She didn't care what color she was. And I'm sure that there was a lot of people there that didn't like that. 
So I don't know. But she knew what she had to do, and she did it. And she did it. And I think that's fantastic. I don't know. What do you What do you think, co-host? Well, I think you gave some great information. You you talked about her birthday and talked about when she died and her career in the middle. And I think we've had a great show, and I guess we could start uh, talking about it next week. Let's let's do it all over again. <laughs> oh. <laughs> We're going to talk no, about I, Shirley next week, too. <laughs> no, no, no. I was just uh, joking. I know. Uh, I think I think she was an awesome woman. I think she uh, But she was the uh, first a lot of black posts. woman polit- politician who, in 1968, was elected to the Congress. And, you know, she tried to... She was the first black woman who was trying to run for the president of the United States. Now, that that's something. That's something. Well, I mean, somebody's got to be the first, you know. So, um, you know, it was Shirley Chisholm. Um, yeah, but at that time, a, she was a female, and you know that. A black woman? <laughs> I don't well, think I mean, she tell tell just just for me. I honestly don't believe that even now, if a black woman ran, ah, I don't think they get her in either. No, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Well, no, you know. I mean, I don't think a black woman would, would get elected in 2024. Um, I don't think Kamala Harris would get elected yeah. if she ran. And she's the first right. black, you know, vice president, black, first black female vice president. Oh, so, yeah. I mean, we're, still, <laughs> we're still making history, you know. We're still making history even today. So... Uh, there are a lot of firsts for oh yes as black people, and so that's you know what makes it so uh, astounding regarding uh, Shirley Chisholm. Uh, so just to give a little bit of background on her early life and education, uh, she was born Shirley Anita Saint Hill, and she was born an immigrant immigrant parents. Uh, on November 30th, 1924. Uh, She was born in Brooklyn, New York City, and she was of Guyanese and Bajan Bajan descent. And she had three younger sisters. Uh, Two were born within three years of her and one later. Um, Her father was born in British Guyana uh, before he moved to Barbados. Uh, and they did arrived in New York City. Did she mm-hmm. have any children? Um, I don't know. I don't. I don't think Shirley had any children. Okay. Uh, she was married twice. I don't think she ever had any children. No, I haven't read anything about her having kids. It seems like she was uh, a career woman. So uh, her father was born in British Guiana. 
before moving to Barbados. And so they arrived in New York City uh, via Antilla, Cuba, in 1923 is when they moved to New York from Cuba. And her mother, Ruby Seal, was born in Christ Church, Barbados. And her mother um, uh, arrived in New York City in 1921. Uh, So... Say her father was a you know was a laborer. He worked in a factory making burlap burlap bags uh, and as a baker's helper. Uh, and Ruby St. Hill, Mama, was a skilled seamstress and domestic worker uh, who experienced the difficulty of balancing work with raising children at the same time. Uh, says in November of 1929. When Shirley turned five, her and her two sisters were sent to Barbados uh, to live with their uh, maternal grandmother, Emmeline Seal. Uh, and, and Shirley Chisholm would later say that her granny gave her strength, dignity, and love. And she learned from an early age that she was somebody. And she didn't need the black revolution to tell her that. Um, and so her and her sisters lived on their grandmother's farm um, in the Box Hall Village in Christ Church, um, where she attended a one-room schoolhouse. Uh, but she came back to the United States in 1934, uh, back to New York. Um, and did, they say when she, what, did they say hmm? when, uh, what time she, uh, what age she was at that time? Uh, well, she was born in um, 1923, and so came back in 34, so she was 11 years old. Okay. So they said uh, as a result of her time in Barbados, she spoke with a West Indian accent throughout her life. <laughs> so uh, in her 1970 autobiography, Unbought and Unboss, she wrote, Years later, I would know what an important gift my parents had given me by seeing to it that I had my early education in the strict, traditional, British-style schools of Barbados. If I speak and write easily now, that early education is the main reason. Um, So she uh, considered herself a Barbadian American. But in 1939, she attended an all-girls high school in the Bedford-Stuyvesant neighborhood of Brooklyn, highly regarded, integrated school that attracted girls from throughout Brooklyn. Uh, She did well academically at the girls' high school and was chosen to be vice president of the Junior Arista Honor Society. She was uh, accepted at and offered scholarships to Vassar College and Oberlin College, but the family couldn't afford the room and board costs uh, for either school. So she selected Brooklyn College, where there was no charge for tuition, and she could live at home and commute to school. So she earned her bachelor's degree from Brooklyn College in 1946, um, majoring in sociology and minoring in, in Spanish. It said that that was a language that she uh, would employ at times during her political career. Uh, she won prizes 
for uh, her debating skills and graduated cum laude. Yes. So, <laughs> so very smart. So, you know, she was yeah. on top of her game. So during her time at Brooklyn College, she was a member of the Delta Sigma Theta Sorority. <laughs> okay. And the Harriet Tubman Society. And as a member of the Harriet Tubman Society, she advocated for inclusion, specifically in terms of the integration of black soldiers in the military during World War II. And they also said, in addition to courses that focused on American, African-American history and the involvement of more women in the student government. So uh, this, but that wasn't her first introduction to act, activism or politics. Uh, when she was growing up, she was surrounded by politics uh, because her father was an avid supporter, avid supporter of Marcus Garvey's and a dedicated supporter of the rights of trade union members. So she saw her community advocate for their rights as she witnessed the Barbados workers and anti-colonial independence movement. Um, she met uh, Conrad Chisholm in the late 1940s, and he had migrated to the United States from Jamaica in 1946, and he uh, later became a private investigator who specialized in negligence-based lawsuits. Uh, and they got married in 1949 in a large West Indian-style wedding, Miss Shirley Chisholm. Uh, it also says she subsequently suffered two miscarriages, and oh, to their wow. disappointment, the couple would have no children. Although, in the view of scholar uh, Julie Gallagher, uh, it's possible that her career goals played a role in this outcome as well. After graduating from college, uh, Shirley Chisholm began working as a teacher's aide at the Mount Calvary Child Care Center in Harlem, um, and she would also work at the center in a teaching role from 1946 to 1953. Meanwhile, she was furthering her education, attending classes at night and earning her Master's of Arts in Childhood Education from the Teachers College of Columbia University in 1951. Um, so that just gives a little background into um, who Miss Shirley Chisholm was and how she got started and gives a little background about her family and her, her mother and her father. Um, and she also, from uh, 1953 and 1954, uh, was the director of the Friend and Need Nursery, and that was located in Brownsville, Brooklyn. Uh, and then from 1954 to 1959, she was director of the Hamilton Madison Child Care Center so she had her, you know, her career was in early childhood. Uh, that Hamilton Madison Child Care Center was located in lower Manhattan. Um, and at that facility, there were 130 children, ages 3 to 7, uh, and 24 employees reporting to her. Uh, in 1959 and 1964, she was an educational consultant for the Division of Daycare in New York City's Bureau of Child Welfare. And there she was in charge of supervising 10 daycare centers as well as starting up new ones. She became an authority on early education and child welfare issues. 
Uh, but she didn't enter the world of politics until 1953 when she joined uh, Wesley Mack Holder's effort to elect Louis Flagg Jr. to the bench as the first black judge in Brooklyn. The Flagg election group later transformed into the Bedford-Stuyvesant Political League, BSPL. PL pushed candidates to support civil rights, fought against racial discrimination in housing, and sought to improve economic opportunities and services in Brooklyn. Shirley Chisholm eventually left that group around 1958 after clashing with Holder over uh, Chisholm's push to give female members of the group more input in the decision-making, and they weren't going for that. And they wouldn't want, yeah, that seems right. A woman needs <laughs> to know her place and stay in it. <laughs> so she also worked as a volunteer for white-dominated political clubs in Brooklyn, like the Brooklyn Democratic Clubs and the League of Women Voters. Uh, with the Political League, she was part of a committee that chose the recipient for its annual Brotherhood Awards. Uh, she was also a representative of the Brooklyn branch of the National Association of College Women. Um, and furthermore, within the political organizations uh, she had joined, she sought to make meaningful changes to the structure and makeup of the organization, uh, specifically the uh, Brooklyn Democratic Club which resulted in her being able to recruit more people of color into the 17th District Club and thus uh, local politics. So I think a big deal was in 1960 when she joined a new organization, the Unity Democratic Club, UDC. It was led by the former elect flag member Thomas R. Jones. So the UDC's membership was mostly middle class, racially integrated, and included women in leadership positions. Shirley Chisholm campaigned for uh, Jones, who lost the election for an assembly seat in 1960, but ran again two years later and won, becoming Brooklyn's second black assemblyman. So um, so she was, uh, once she got into politics, she started off in early uh, her early life and um, early childhood education and child welfare. Uh, but then she quickly, um, once she got a taste of uh, political life uh, on the political campaign, uh, started pushing and advocating for women to have larger roles and more participation um, in these political roles and, and uh, making decisions. So um, she was learning uh, from her positions, and she was uh, very strong-willed and an advocate in uh, making things happen. Um, when she was uh, campaigning and um, getting uh, petitions um, to nominate her for the state assembly, a uh, man that she had um, ran into uh, asked her, he said, young woman, what are you doing out here in this cold? Did you get your husband's breakfast this morning? Did you straighten up your house? What are you doing running for office? This is something for men. So Shirley Chisholm <laughs> relating to what an older African American this is what a you know older African American man told her at a Brooklyn Housing Project in nineteen sixty four when she was collecting signatures for her nominating petition for state assembly. She calmly explained her experience and commitment to the community and said that he ended up signing her petition. Oh, he did. No, he signed it. 
I mean, she was she was she was about a bit. <laughs> and so it wasn't it wasn't any holding her back. Um but in nineteen sixty eight, her initial election, she ran for the U uh, United States House of Representatives from New York's twelfth congressional district, uh, which was a part of a court mandated reapportionment plan. Uh, had been significantly redrawn to focus on Bedford Stuyvesant and was thus expected to result in Brooklyn's first black member of Congress, Adam Clayton Powell Jr. Head in 1945 became the first black member of Congress from New York City as a whole. Um, so as a result of the redrawing of the uh, the map, the which they're still doing today, you know, they're, well, they're um, gerrymandering a lot of these districts uh, by redrawing um, oh, absolutely. the voting maps. Um, so as a result of the redrawing, the white incumbent in the former 12th, rep- in the 12th Representative Edna F. Kelly sought re-election in a different district. So Chisholm announced her candidacy around January 1968 and established some early organizational support. And her campaign slogan was unbought and unbossed. In the June 18, 1968 Democratic primary, Shirley Chisholm defeated two other black opponents, State Senator William S. Thompson and labor official Dolly Robertson. In a general election, she stays an upset victory over James Farmer, the former director of the Congress of Racial Equality, who was running as a Liberal Party candidate with Republican support, winning by an approximately two-to-one margin. So she she beat the brakes off of him. So Shirley Chisholm thereby became the first black woman elected to Congress and was the only woman in the first-year class that year. So she had an uphill battle. It wasn't easy for her. She she did some things. This this is Miss Shirley Chisholm we're talking about today. Uh, (laughs) Callers, if uh, any of you would like to uh, ask any questions uh, or, you know, just add uh, any comments, press the one on your phone. We'll put you in the queue and bring you on, and you can talk about it with Jenny White. So, uh, in her early term, Speaker of the House, John W. McCormick. Everybody used their initials, the middle initial. John W. McCormick uh-huh. signed Chisholm to serve on the House Agriculture Committee. So given her urban district, she felt the placement was irrelevant to her constituents because she was from Brooklyn, and, you know, they don't have any farms in Brooklyn. So she felt that was irrelevant to the people that she supported. So when Chisholm confided to Rebe Menachem M. Snearson that she was upset and insulted by her assignment, Snearson suggested that she use the surplus food to help the poor and hungry. So Chisholm subsequently met Bob Dole and worked to expand the food stamp program. She later played a critical role in the creation of the Special Supplemental Nutrition Program for Women, Infants, and Children, better known as WIC. Oh, so she started that? 
she played a critical role in the creation of it. She played a critical role in the creation of the special supplemental nutritional program for women, infants, and children, the WIC program. So who who knew that the WIC program had Shirley Chisholm's name on it? Uh, she would credit Snearson for the fact that so many poor babies now have milk and poor children have food. So Shirley Chisholm was then placed on the Veterans Affairs Committee soon after she voted for Hale Boggs as House Majority Leader over John Conyers. Hmm. As a reward for her support, Boggs assigned her to the much-prized Education and Labor Committee, which was her preferred committee. She was the third highest-ranking member of this committee when she retired from Congress. Initially, Shirley Chisholm only hired women for her office. Half of them were black. (laughs) (laughs) Shirley only hired women. She had an office full of women, and half of them were black. They said in the later years, she did hire some men for both her Washington office and one in her Brooklyn district. Uh, But Shirley Chisholm said that she had faced much more discrimination during her New York legislative career because she was a woman uh, then for her race. She said just because she was a woman then, you know, a black woman, that's why she caught the most hell. Uh, So Shirley Chisholm joined the Congressional Black Caucus in 1971 as one of its founding members. In the same year, she was also a founding member of the National Women's Political Caucus. In May... 1971, Shirley Chisholm and fellow New York Congresswoman Bella Abzug introduced a bill to provide $10 billion in federal funds for child care services by 1975. This was in 71. A less expensive version introduced by Senator Walter Mondale eventually passed the House and Senate as the Comprehensive Child Development Bill but was vetoed by President Richard Nixon in December 1971, who said it was too expensive and would undermine the institution of the family. All right. Well, Jenny White, if you want to tee up a commercial, we could go to commercial, give me a chance to to uh, drink some of this water, and then we'll come back, <laughs> and then we'll That's talk about fine. Shirley Chisholm's 1972 That's presidential fine. campaign. All right. Yes. Okay. Well, I'd like to do that as well. We have a lot to listen to, and we will take a short. Sofa Talk podcast will consider Spurgeon's morning and evening devotionals, which deal with all of the things that we are fearful and anxious of, like job, family, and our country. Plus, we will take your prayer requests. Join us on upcoming episodes Monday through Friday for Sofa Talk at anchor.fm slash russell-sherrard. That's anchor.fm slash russell-sherrard.
Hi friends, I'm Dr. Mike Spaulding, inviting you to listen to great Bible teaching on the Transforming Word radio show and podcast. All shows are available on iTunes and Stitcher. Search for the Transforming Word and subscribe for notification of new shows. You may also listen to every episode from my website, www.thetransformingword.com. In addition to the Transforming Word, I want to make you aware of my interview, news, and opinion show, Soaring Eagle Radio. If you're interested in engaging conversations related to a variety of topics not covered by typical news media, then check out Soaring Eagle Radio. You may subscribe to the show on iTunes and Stitcher, and you may listen to every episode on my website, www.soaringeagleradio.com. For more information on my ministries, please email me, Pastor Mike, at cclohio.com. Again, that's Pastor Mike at cclohio.com. Thank you for listening to these shows, and please leave me a note when you do. God bless you today. Hi, friends. I'm Dr. Mike Spaulding, inviting you to listen to great Bible teaching on the Transforming Word radio show and podcast. All shows are available on iTunes and Stitcher. Search for the Transforming Word and subscribe for notification of new shows. You may also listen to every episode from my website, www.thetransformingword.com. In addition to The Transforming Word, I want to make you aware of my interview, news, and opinion show, Soaring Eagle Radio. If you're interested in engaging conversations related to a variety of topics not covered by typical news media, then check out Soaring Eagle Radio. You may subscribe to the show on iTunes and Stitcher, and you may listen to every episode on my website, www.soaringeagleradio.com. For more information on my ministries, please email me, Pastor Mike, at cclohio.com. Again, that's Pastor Mike at cclohio.com. Thank you for listening to these shows, and please leave me a note when you do. God bless you today. And we're back to the Let's Talk About Okay, we're back, and we've been talking about Shirley Chisholm, the first black woman in the United States Congress. I think she just, I, I don't, she's a great black woman. And, you know, somebody had to start. Somebody had to start. And she was that person. And we have a person right now who'd like to have something to say. How you doing? And how are you, Miss Jenny White, and I'm our wonderful fine. co-host? Thank you. Hello, hello. I would just like to say uh, the Reverend Al Sharpton was talking about how he worked on um, worked closely with Shirley Chisholm as a teenager. He got involved mm-hmm. in it, and uh, oh wow! And uh, he had some very positive things to say about her. She was a great inspiration to him. One thing he was disturbed about a lot of times was that a lot of times the, um, and I hate to say it this way, but a lot of times the black men would not even support her, like, you know, to help her out. You know, you hear about a lot of the, uh, he, he he did bring that out, you know, that they didn't want to try to be a support to her because she was a black woman, I guess, you know. And they feel like, you know, like she should be like a man, so you should be in your place, so to speak. But uh, he worked very closely with her, and she was a great uh, 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 
aisle as far as he was concerned when it came down to politics. I just wanted to say that. He talks about that. Well, that's well, that, great. I think that, Go yeah, go ahead, Jenny. No, I was going to say the same thing that you said. I think that was fantastic that is, uh, yeah. he he learned from her, you know. So that's good. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't think we uh we don't talk enough about her um in uh in our history. Uh you know, it's kind of like, you know, you put Shirley Chisholm in there with Harriet Tubman, you know. It's, it's like uh you know, she she did a lot of things that are still relevant um uh, today. You know, she you know, you talk about that glass ceiling, you know, and, and the shoulders that we stand on. I mean, you know, oh, we yeah. stand on Shirley Chisholm's <laughs> shoulders, you know, not only as women but as men. I mean, because she got in there and, uh, and you know, she was the first black woman in Congress, you know, but I'm sure it was only a couple a couple black men, you know. So it wasn't like it was a whole lot mm-hmm. of black people, you know. It was a handful of um, black people, you know, even though they had the Congressional Black Caucus, um, you know, that she joined. Uh, and she was one of the founding members, you know, in 1971. But uh, her uh, 1972 presidential campaign, she began exploring her candidacy uh, in July 1971 um, and formally uh, (laughs) announced her presidential bid on January 25th, 1972, in a Baptist church in her district in Brooklyn. Uh, And there she called for a bloodless revolution at the forthcoming Democratic nomination convention. Uh, she became the first African American to run for a major party's nomination for the president of the United States. So she uh-huh. was the first black person, man or woman, uh, to run for a major party's nomination for president. Uh, so in nineteen um, in the nineteen seventy two U.S. presidential election, uh, making her the first woman ever to run for the Democratic Party presidential nomination. Uh, U.S. Senator Margaret Chase Smith had previously run for the 1964 uh, Republican presidential nomination. So she wasn't the first woman to run for president, but she was the first black woman. Uh, Just first black. like uh, <laughs> Obama. What? He was the first one. He- he was the first black president. He wasn't the first That's black person, black person to run. Yeah. No. I mean, he had Jesse Jackson and. and um, Is he what, still uh, living now? Al Sharpton. Yeah, I think Jesse uh, has Parkinson. Oh yeah, he is. Yeah, he is. Yeah. Okay. I was just wondering. Yes. So, um, in her 1972 presidential announcement. She described herself as a representative of the people and offered a new articulation of American identity. I'm not the candidate of black America, although I am black and proud. I'm not the candidate of the women's movement of this country, although I am a woman and equally proud of that. I'm the candidate of the people, and my presence before you symbolizes a new era 
in American political history. The Sarah campaign was underfunded, only spending three hundred thousand in total. They're spending millions now, you know. She also struggled to be regarded <laughs> as a serious candidate instead of a symbolic political figure. The Democratic political establishment ignored her and her black male colleagues provided little support, as you just mentioned, <laughs> that Al Sharpton mm-hmm. uh, mentioned as well. Uh, the black man didn't support her. She later said, when I ran for the Congress, when I ran for president, I met more discrimination as a woman than for being huh. black. Men are that. men. I can Men are men. I, I guess black or white, men are men. In particular, she expressed frustration about the black matriarch thing, saying they think I'm trying to take power from them. The black man must step forward, but that doesn't mean the black woman must step back. Her husband, however, was fully supportive of her candidacy and said, I have no hang-ups about a woman running for president. Security was also a concern as... During the campaign, three confirmed threats were made against her life. Conrad Chisholm mm-hmm. served as her bodyguard until the U.S. Secret Service protection was given to her uh, in May 1972. <laughs> her husband served as her, as her bodyguard. So uh, Shirley Chisholm skipped in. Huh? That was interesting. Yeah, uh, uh, um, but Shirley Chisholm, she skipped the initial March 7th New Hampshire contest, instead focusing on the March 14th Florida primary, which she thought would be receptive due to its black youth and a strong women's movement. But due to organizational difficulties and congressional responsibilities, she only made two campaign trips there and ended with 3.5% of the vote for a seventh-place finish. Chisholm had difficulty <clears throat> gaining ballot access for campaigned or received votes in primaries in 14 states. A largest number of votes came in the June 6 California primary, where she received 157,435 votes for 4.4% while her best percentage in a competitive primary came in the May 6th North Carolina contest, where she got 7.5% for a third-place finish. Overall, Mm -hmm. she won 28 delegates during the primary process itself. Chisholm's base of support was ethnically diverse and included the National Organization for Women, Betty Frieden and Gloria Steinem, attempted to run as Chisholm's delegate in New York. Although during the primary season she received 430,703 votes, which was 2.7% of the total of nearly 16 million cast and represented seventh place among the Democratic contenders. In June, Chisholm became the first woman to appear in a United States presidential debate. So in 1972, the Democratic National Convention was in Miami, Miami Beach, Florida. Uh, There were still efforts taking place by the campaign of former Vice President Hubert Humphrey to stop the nomination of Senator George McGovern for president. 
So after that failed and McGovern's nomination was assured, as a symbolic gesture, Humphrey released his black delegate to Chisholm, combined with defection from disenchanted delegates, delegates from other candidates as well as the delegates she had won in the primaries, gave her a total of 152 first ballot votes for the presidential nomination during the July 12th roll call. Her precise total was 151.95. Her largest support overall came from Ohio with 23 delegates, slightly more than half of them white. Even though she had not been on the ballot in the May 2nd primary there, she wasn't even on the ballot. Her total gave her fourth place in the roll call tally. Behind McGovern's, McGovern's winning total of 1,728 delegates. Shirley Chisholm says she ran for office in spite of hopeless odds to demonstrate the sheer will and refusal to accept the status quo. It is sometimes stated that Chisholm won a primary in 1972 or won three states overall with New Jersey, Louisiana, and Mississippi being so identified. None of these fit the usual definition of winning a plurality of the contested popular vote or delegation allocations at the time of a state primary, <laughs> caucus, or state convention. So in June, on June 6th, New Jer- the New Jersey primary, there was a complex ballot that featured both a delegate selection vote and a non-binding, non-delegate producing beauty contest, in quotes, presidential preference vote. So in the delegate selection vote, Democratic frontrunner McGovern defeated his main rival at that point, Hubert Humphrey, and won the large share of available delegates. Of the Democratic candidates, only Chisholm and former North Carolina Governor Terry Sanford were on the statewide preference ballot. So Sanford, had, he, he withdrew from the contest three weeks earlier in that non-binding preference tally, which the Associated Press described as meaningless. So Chisholm received the majority of the votes, 51,433, which was 66.9%. So during the actual balloting at the National Convention, Chisholm received votes from only four of New Jersey's 109 delegates, with 89 going to McGovern. So, to kind of wrap it up, in May 19, on May 19, May 13, in the Louisiana caucuses, there was a battle between the forces of McGovern and Alabama Governor George Wallace. So, nearly all of the delegates chosen were those who identified as uncommitted, many of them black. So leading up to that convention, McGovern was thought to control 20 of Louisiana's 44 delegates, with most of the rest uncommitted. So during the actual roll call at the national convention, Louisiana passed at first. Then they cast 18.5 of its 44 votes for Chisholm, with the next best finishers being McGovern and Senator Henry M. Jackson with 10.25 each. So she won the majority of the delegates from Louisiana at that convention. As one delegate explained, our strategy was to give Shirley our votes for sentimental reasons 
on the first ballot. However, if our votes would have made the difference, we would have gone with McGovern. Mm-hmm. So in Mississippi, there were two rival party factions that each selected delegates at their own state conventions and caucuses. Regulars, in quotation marks, representing the mostly white state Democratic Party, those are regulars, and loyalists, representing many black and white liberals. Each slate professed to be largely uncommitted, but the regulars were thought to favor Wallace, George Wallace, and the loyalists, McGovern. By the time of the National Convention, the loyalists were seated following a credentials challenge, and their delegates were characterized as mostly supporting McGovern with some support for Humphrey, Hubert Humphrey. So during the convention, some McGovern delegates became angry about what they saw as statements from McGovern that backed away from his commitment to end U.S. involvement in Southeast Asia and cast protest votes for Chisholm as a result. So doing actual balloting, Mississippi went in the first half of the roll call and cast 12 of its 25 votes for Chisholm, with McGovern coming next with 10 votes. So during the campaign, a German filmmaker, Pete Lithenthal, shot the documentary film Shirley Chisholm for President for the German television channel. So... I mean, Shirley was Shirley was hanging with the big boys. <laughs> you know, Governor George Wallace was trying to be president, and Hubert Humphrey, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and McGovern. So I mean, you know, these, these, these by no means were um, was a small feat. You know, she was she was dealing with some big boys. Um. Let me ask said, you a question. Uh, yeah. Do you think this time of age, what is it, 2023, do you think that anyone would um, try to get a female in as president? Oh, I mean, I'm sure that, I mean, you know, it's a lot of uh, groundbreaking things taking taking place. Like we've got the first black uh, Supreme Court justice, you know. Oh, yes. Yes, 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 yes. You know, <laughs> that was appointed by Joe Biden. And so yes, yes, uh, yes, I think yes. it's just a matter of time before a woman, um, you know, wins the presidency. Uh, I but mean, Elizabeth you, Warren you, ran. I, hate, I don't want to mess you up but when you you see what they did to her but that other Ooh. guy our our black justice yeah yeah and the other guy who they just threw up there <laughs> tell me about it. what'd you say i said tell me about it <laughs> yes Yes, mm-hmm. and they turn her, they turn her upside down, and she still oh, yeah. <laughs> it 
they had to leave her alone. I love it. I love it. I'm sorry, uh, <laughs> Mr. Cole, <laughs> co-host. But when no, you brought that's that fine. up, that, that's just, fine. that just um, made me, oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Look what we have to go through. Well, that I don't think anybody. Do more than they did. <laughs> okay. I don't I'm think sorry. anybody's surprised, you know, by the double standard, you know. Um, but later in her terms, um, Shirley Chisholm created a controversy when she visited rival and ideological opposite George Wallace in the hospital soon after his shooting in May 1972. So during the presidential uh, during the presidential campaign, uh, she went to visit George Wallace in the hospital. So several years later, when Chisholm worked on a bill to give domestic workers the right to a minimum wage, uh, Wallace helped gain votes from enough Southern congressmen uh, to push the legislation through the House. Hmm. So George Wallace helped Shirley Chisholm out. Hmm. Oh yeah. I mean, I mean, even you know, uh, even the devil can 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 bless you. <laughs> I mean, you know, God God has no manner of man. I mean, he'll use your enemies to help move you forward. Yeah. You know, that's and what um, um, Bishop Jakes would say. He said, you never. We Christian people look for things to help uh, from Christians. He said, "You never know. Don't limit God in trying to, uh, know, to get uh, your things through." He said, "You don't limit him. No, we want people to look like us. That's not necessarily mm-hmm. so." He was saying that. Oh, he you never know who's going to bless you. Yeah, I mean, you know, you got the people uh, yeah. that, you know, the the people Every, that do things not meant for your good turn around and. and 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 give you a blessing. That is true. uh, So uh, to kind of wrap it up, um, if we have any, you know, callers that would like to chime in, you can push the one, make a comment um, or a statement. Uh, So in 1977 and 1981, during the 95th Congress, the 96th Congress, uh, Shirley Chisholm served as the Secretary of the Democratic Caucus so throughout her tenure in Congress, she worked to improve opportunities for inner-city residents. She supported spending increases for education, health care, and other social services. She was very concerned with instances of discrimination against women, and especially those against impoverished women. She also focused on land rights for Native Americans, and in the area of national security and foreign policy, Shirley Chisholm worked for the revocation of Internal Security Act of 1950. She opposed the American involvement in the Vietnam War and the expansion mm-hmm. of weapon development and was a vocal opponent of the U.S. military draft during the Jimmy Carter administration. She called during the Jimmy Carter administration, she called for better treatment of Haitian refugees. Shirley wasn't no joke. She was <laughs> older tongue. She advocated for she advocated for uh, the least of these. She advocated for the poor and poverty. She advocated for yeah. women. 
the Native Americans for the Native Americans. She advocated for the Haitian refugees. I mean, Shirley was doing it. She was a forceful advocate for the Equal Rights Amendment that we still can't get. You know, we 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 still can't get um, our voting rights passed. You know, mm-hmm. uh, but that's another story. <laughs> um, <laughs> believing that the initial value of passing the Equal Rights Amendment would be in the social and psychological effect. She was a forceful advocate for the Equal Rights Amendment, believing that the initial value of passing it would be in the social and psychological effects. It would have more than any economic or legal impact. She did not want the amendment modified to incorporate a provision that would permit laws that purportedly protected the health and safety of females, saying such a modification would continue a traditional avenue of discrimination against women. Regarding a specific argument made along these lines that the amendment will require women to be subject to the draft, Chisholm was unperturbed, saying that if there was a draft, women could serve, and that some larger, stronger women might perform better in infantry roles than some smaller, weaker men. Ooh, she was stepping on toes then. (laughs) Yeah. So at the same time, Shirley Chisholm was aware of how much of a second-wave feminism in the United States focused on the concerns of middle-class white women, such as the adoption of the terms Miss, MS. Hey, Miss, at the 1973 convention of the National Women's Political Caucus, Shirley Chisholm said that women of color were faced with double discrimination that especially affected them economically and that the women's movement needed to make changes to better reflect such women and their concerns. Scholar Julie Gallagher had written that Chisholm's pressure in this regard did make some difference in the focus of the women's movement during subsequent years in the 1970s. Shirley Chisholm's first marriage ended in a divorce that was granted on February 4, 1977, in the Dominican Republic. Later that year, on November 26, she married Arthur Hardwick Jr. She got divorced. She got divorced in February and got remarried in November. <laughs> and Arthur Hardwick Jr. was a former New York State Assemblyman who Chisholm had known when they both served in that body, and who was now a Buffalo, New York liquor store owner. The ceremony was held in a Buffalo area hotel. She indicated that while her legal name was now Hardwick, she would continue to use Chisholm in politics. She began spending some of her time in Buffalo, which brought some political criticism that she was being inattentive to her district. You always go have haters. So by the mid to late 1970s, there was a growing dissatisfaction with Chisholm among some liberals in New York State and city politics who felt that Chisholm too often sided with Democratic Party bosses over liberal black or feminist challenges. Instances of her doing this included supporting the incumbent conservative Democrat John J. Rooney over the liberal anti-war activist Allard 
Lowenstein in the 1972 congressional primary, failing to support Bella Asberg's primary campaigns for U.S. Senator in 1976 and New York Mayor in 77, failing to support the young feminist Elizabeth Holtzman's successful primary challenge to the aging congressional incumbent Emanuel Seller in 1972. These are all things that she didn't do that made uh, people start going dissatisfied with her uh, because they felt that she too often sided with Democratic Party bosses over liberal black and feminist challenges. I guess they felt that she was so ingrained in politics at that point that she became a part of the uh, system by not supporting um, challenges that they felt um, she 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 needed to. Um, so in 1972 and remaining, uh, she remained neutral during long-time, long-time African-American civil rights leader and elected official <coughs> Percy Sutton's bid in the 1977 mayoral primary, following, followed by endorsing Ed Koch in a runoff. Mm-hmm. So she remained neutral uh, when the civil rights leader and elected official Percy Sutton uh, put a bid in 1977 for mayor, but she endorsed Ed Koch, K-O-C-H, in a runoff. This dissatisfaction was exemplified by a long 1978 piece published in the Village Voice titled Chisholm's Compromises, Politics and the Art of Self-Interest, and written by former UDC ally Andrew W. Cooper and voice investigative reporter Wayne Barrett. Similarly, the Amsterdam News ran an editorial about the Chisholm problem. Chisholm defended herself by saying she was selecting those candidates who could best protect the interests of and produce government benefits for her constituents. But critics said her behavior put the lie to the unbossed part of her slogan. To her biographer, Barbara Winslow, being black and a woman, Chisholm had no natural political base. And she was likely siding with the Democratic machine in order to give herself a secure spot from which to speak out on the provocative, progressive messages that she wanted to put forth. So basically saying that she was going with who the the, the Democrats wanted to put in place um, so that she could remain um, in her spot, she could maintain her secure position that would give her, you know, continue to give her an opportunity to uh, speak on provocative progressive messages that she wanted to talk about. You know, I guess she felt that at that point, um, you know, the Democratic Party wanted certain candidates, but if she, you know, sided and advocated for other people, then she would lose her position with the Democratic Party and in turn, uh, the effectiveness of her uh, voice and the things that she wanted to push, uh, she felt would be threatened. Uh, so that's why they um, said that uh, they felt that um, uh, her unbossed part of her slogan was a lie. She, you know, she wasn't the same person. 
But a later analysis in the Washington Post framed the matter by saying that despite the celebrity stemming from her presidential campaign, Shirley Chisholm had been a lonely politician. Her unpredictability had led to an isolation that has been augmented by her pride and paranoia. Uh, they said that Hardwick, her husband, was badly injured in an April 1979 automobile accident. So she desired to take care of him and so also dissatisfied with the course of liberal politics in the wake of the Reagan revolution, uh, Shirley Chisholm decided to leave Congress. The possibility that she would be challenged in a Democratic primary election may have also been a factor in her decision. She announced her retirement in February 1982, saying that she looked forward to a more private life and that the Reagan administration was not responsive to our constituency. The constituency is going to be more volatile and demanding, and I find myself in a position where I can't help them, is what she said. She also lamented the tactics of the Christian right, which she said made potent use of the media and the symbols of family morality and the national flag to quiet dissatisfaction in the people. But overall, she felt that press reports had overemphasized her political dissatisfaction in her retirement calculus. Fundamentally, she said in September 1982, I've been so obsessed with politics and the desire to help my people all these years. I've never had time to think about my personal life. I think the accident was an instrument, God's way of making me reassess my life. She says she never intended to spend her whole career in politics and look forward to returning to teaching. So she, she left did Congress a good in nineteen eighty three. Yes, she left Congress in nineteen eighty three. Uh, move. Um, she made a home in Williamsville, New York, a suburb of Buffalo, and she wanted to resume her career in education. She hoped to be named a college president, in particular of Medgar Evers College in Brooklyn or City College in New York and Manhattan. But her past political opponents were influential in the selection processes, and she received neither post. So you make some enemies, you know, when you in Congress and, and you, you're political. Oh, yeah. So uh, her opponents, you know, uh, made sure that she didn't get either one of those jobs. So similarly, a move to make her New York City school chancellor was blocked by the teachers' union head and longtime foe, <coughs> Albert Shanker, and she withdrew from consideration for that position. So now she got haters at all, at all every, every corner now, people blocking her. But, however, she was offered a dozen possible teaching positions at colleges. She accepted being named to the Puritan Chair, the Puritan Chair at the all-women's Mount Holyoke College in Massachusetts, a position that she held for the next four years. She was not a member of any particular department, but, but she was able to teach classes in a variety of areas. Those previously holding the professorship included W.H. Auden, Bertrand Russell, and Anna Botemps. Those, those names don't ring a bell to me. When she questioned why she would want to teach, when questioned why she would want to teach at an institution with mostly affluent whites as students, 
she replied that she enjoyed the challenge of exposing them to both her feminist viewpoint and her background and experiences. So in addition, uh, during that time, she spent in the spring of 1985 semester as a visiting professor at the historically black Mm -hmm. women's Spelman College in Atlanta. So she taught at Spelman in uh, the spring of 1985 uh, semester as a visiting professor. At Spelman, she taught classes titled Congress, Power, and Politics, where she sought to engage students in questions about representative government and the history of the black woman in America. Uh, in 1984, Chisholm and C. Dolores Tucker co-founded an organization initially known as the National Black Women's Political Caucus. This was established during the vice presidential campaign of Geraldine Ferraro. African-American women from various political organizations convened to set forth a political agenda emphasizing the needs of women of African descent. Shirley Chisholm was chosen as his first chair. Creation of the group represented a split with an earlier organization, the National Black Women's Political Leadership Caucus, which had been co-founded by Tucker in 1971. So following a protest by the earlier group, the new one changed its name to the National Political Congress of Black Women, later simplified to the National Congress of Black Women. So, uh, her husband Harwood died in August 1986. Mm -hmm. And Shirley Chisholm moved to Florida in 1991. In 1993, President Bill Clinton nominated her to the United States Ambassador to Jamaica. But she could not serve due to poor health at that time, and the nomination was withdrawn. In the same year, she was inducted into the National Women's Hall of Fame. And Shirley Chisholm died on January 1st, 2005, on New Year's Day, 2005, at her home in Ormond Beach, Florida. Her health had been in decline after she had suffered a series of small strokes the previous summer. At her funeral held in Palm Coast, Florida, the minister said that Chisholm had brought about change because she showed up, she stood up, she spoke up. And she is buried in the Birchwood Mausoleum at Forest Lawn Cemetery in Buffalo, New York, where the legend inscribed mm-hmm. on her vault reads, unbought and unbossed. All right. Shirley Chisholm, everybody. Yes, 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 yes. Ms. yes. Shirley Chisholm. Very good. Very had, a life- good. had a lifetime. Very good. Yes. Oh, yeah, that was a lot of good information. And, I mean, I can just imagine, you know, know, listening to her speak right now, you know, and her, her, um, (laughs) you know, and her dialect, what they said. She, um, she, yeah, they, uh, how did she speak? She had, um, well, she was from Barbados. uh, Well, she, she, uh, that's where she stayed. In her Indian dialect, <laughs> so, mm-hmm. a West Indian accent, that's what it was. So I could, uh, could just imagine hearing Miss Shirley talking her West Indian accent. I don't think I've ever seen any videos of her, you know, where I've heard her speak. Um, 
but I think I'm going to um, look and see if I can find something on YouTube or somewhere. Um, but she was a powerful woman, you know. Oh, absolutely. She, uh, she, she and was smart. A great and, impact. Uh, What'd you say? She was able. I said she was able to stand on her own no matter what, you know. Yes, Confident. she was. I mean, yes, and it, it wasn't easy, you know. And when she was running for president, she was getting threats on her life, you know. And um, her husband served as her bodyguard until they, you know, appoint the Secret Service to protect her. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, but Miss Shirley, uh, Shirley Chisholm just lets you know that anything's possible. And towards the you know, latter part, yes, latter yes, part of yes. her career, you know, she had, um, you know, the stance that she was taking, I mean, being political, uh, she had made political decisions, and some of her political decisions weren't popular. And so mm-hmm. um, some of the people felt that, you know, uh, she was being dictated to or, you know, or led to support certain candidates that they didn't feel was, um, I guess, grassroots enough. So she um, uh, had made some some enemies, you know, along the way. Um, but, I mean, hey, you know, it, it comes with the territory. You know, pay, you pay the cost to be the boss. Hmm. So Shirley Chisholm was unbought and unbossed. Huh. Very good. Very good. First black woman in the United States Congress. Yes. So if there's anyone that'd like to push the one, make a comment or have a question, we'll take it. Other than that, we can let uh, Sister Lucy and Miss Jenny White close out the show. Okay, then. Thanks so much, our wonderful co-host. <laughs> yes. Um, yes. Thank you. I think that was... Very uh, Yes, I think you have so. any final words? Any final words, uh, Sister Lucy? Anything to add to it? It was very impressive and very good, you know, very good. It showed you what you're going to have to go through. When you were talking about her, I, my mind kept wandering back to Miss Stacey uh, Abrams. When I heard her speak, to me she is presidential uh, material, Stacey Abrams, and um, oh yeah, it's just it's just wonderful. She's very very good. Fantastic. Yes, she is. Yes, she is. And her term will show. She she'll get it. She'll get it. Yeah. When it's her time. But you know, yeah. It is very, very good. You don't hear anything and about her lately. Well, they're I trying to say find something wrong. Ted Cruz is trying to find something wrong with her right now and have her investigated in something, you know. But um, like you said, it goes with the territory. She's, ah, she's been able to right. hold her own. Since, uh, you know, it goes with the territory. Yeah. Looking to, you know, all of this. But she's very good. Thanks so much for that, our favorite co-host. Uh, no problem, no problem. I think uh, <laughs> she does have a bright career, you know, in, um, in Georgia, especially, you know, um, considering it, was, uh, it looks like a lot of black women down there doing things, like the district attorney um, finding 
Wilson, uh, Willis, who's in the process of indicting the former president, uh, Donald Trump. So that, uh, Fanny is down there doing her thing as well. All right, uh, Jenny White. Okay. Thank you so much. Well, I thank you guys. I thank uh, all of you that listen. Uh, I appreciate that. Um, our co-host was very knowledgeable and let us know some stuff I I didn't know, you know. So that's a good thing when you can always learn. But the one thing I'd like to say before we leave is one day you will wake up and there won't be any more time to do the things that you've always wanted. Okay. Do it now. I'll get on it. I'll get on it, Chief. (laughs) (laughs) I'll get on it. I'm telling you, because one of these days, you're going to wish, why didn't I do that? Why didn't I do this? You know? Remain focused. That's right. Whatever you need to do, do it now. Do it quickly. So having said that, uh, I thank you all for being with us. Let's talk about it. Shirley Chisholm, the first black woman in the U.S. Congress. And having said that, I'll say thank you. I say everyone have a nice week, and we'll talk to you next Friday. How about that? Good night, all. Thanks so much. Good night. All right, good night.